Hi, it's June Sarpong here. You're listening to the podcast version of Project Reset brought to you by Mission Winnow. For future episodes, either subscribe with your usual podcast provider or visit missionwinnow.com. In a few months, the world has rapidly changed. And we have an opportunity to use this moment to reimagine the world we live in forever. Powering transformation through bold thinking, big ideas, and brave action. This is Project Reset. Hello, I'm June Sarpong, and welcome to another episode of Project Reset brought to you by Mission Winnow. The COVID crisis has shed a light on the precarious state of our global supply chain as is the case with many things to do with this pandemic, poorer communities are adversely affected. So what we want to do today is discuss how we can ensure that the new systems that are put in place do not negatively impact the poor, and what we can do also to build a much more sustainable future. I'm thrilled to have three of some of the best minds in this space. Joining me, we have Kip Anderson, writer and producer of Cowspiracy. We have William Hyam, who's a consumer trends expert and behavioral futurist. And we are also joined by Ofuk Taran, futurist, economist, and author. So lovely to have you all with us today. How's everybody doing? Wonderful. Hi. Thank, you. Thank you. So if I start with you first, William, how would you define consumption and what it means to be a consumer? Consumption, it used to be very much about buying things. It was yes. always very much about, I'm going to buy this, I'm going to own it, it's mine. And I think increasingly now, consumption is about use. So we are moving from ownership towards access ship. We really yeah. are. So when I consume something now, increasingly I am, yeah, I'm, I'm using it. Those of us that are privileged enough to, to think in those ways are much more mindful of the impact of what we're consuming. And actually, I suppose that's why we're seeing the growth of the sharing economy as well. I think the whole concept of, of, of access and sharing is, is as much about convenience um, and it's as much about the desire for experiences as it is for uh, a kind of a global understanding. But I think we are moving towards a much more uh, globally aware society. There's a lot of things out there we're going to have to do as a global community if we're going to survive as a race. So I think people are starting to get their heads around that a little bit. Well, if anything has made us aware of that, it's the, it's the COVID crisis. <laughs> There's no getting away from the global impact of that. Uh, if I come to you, Ofok, what does uh, consumerism mean to you and what does it mean to be a consumer? Consumerism is just old school type of definition. We have to change this and we have to jump to consumer. We have to find a way of defining things as hybrid and also use and uh, practice in hybrid way. We cannot deny consumption, consuming uh, at all, but we cannot uh, use only producing. So all together, everything should be working for the benefit of all of us and for the future. I think we have to change and reanalyze all these concepts, way of doing things and so on uh, once more by using the chance of this kind of uh, pandemic or uh, that kind of disruptive uh, transformational moments. 
Now, Kip, your movies speak to a generation, and and they force us to think、uh, about many of these issues. So, from your perspective, what does that mean for you in terms of defining consumerism, and obviously what it means to be a consumer? In the past, consumer meant、uh, what do I consume, and in the time we're living now, it's such a global community, especially what's going now. It has to be what do I consume for others. I have to include others in the concept, and even before the COVID, these、uh, third world countries and people don't have food access. A lot of the food access was happening even before this was happening, due to a lot of、uh, land use being cleared to grow animals. That all the grain is getting grown to feed these animals, and the grain that should be fed to the lower class then gets fed to the animals. The animals are then fed to the higher class. So this has been going on for a long time. It's now accentuated from a pandemic that once again has arisen from raising and killing animals.、Uh, you know, debatable, but the swine flu and avian bird flu. Nearly every single pandemic or, or some type of like this has been from raising and killing animals. So it's not only destroying land use, but then it's also creating these pandemics. So we have to stop it at the root cause. It's outdated, just like consumerism for myself, consumerism for other people, for other animals, for the planet. That's the future, and the future has to be now or. The next one, the next pandemic, might be ten times worse than that, and some are predicting it'll be swine flu. It won't be、uh, even Corona. How do you change behavior when meat consumption, particularly in America, is a way of life? And and、uh, in looking at the data, people in the United States eat meat more than five times a week. I mean, that is a big shift in behavior that you are. Advocating for it is it, you know, any major movement had their time period where it doesn't have to be a hundred percent of the population. Only ten percent of the population has to believe in something, not even particularly do it. So back in the fifties and the sixties, through the women's rights movement, the the the、uh, civil rights movement, this would never happen. This would never happen. People back in the day had slaves. Back in the day, you couldn't vote. And then something happens and triggers. There's a consciousness that arises in a global community. Only 10% of the population has to happen, and it becomes by the elite. Like if I'm an evolved being, this is what I do. Then everyone follows suit. The only reason why China is eating meat as much as we do, they think it's the right thing to do, the cool thing to do. Now it's coming to this consciousness where we're not eating animals. We don't need to. We're at a holistic period of our time and our human ascension development. Where the elite class is not eating animals, we know it's not the right thing to do, and so it's happening very fast. It's one of the fastest movements in history because not only does it have ethics of just not killing innocent animals and killing the planet, but it also has for your health benefits. But then you also have on top of it technology, where you have these meat burgers beyond meat impossible, where you can't even tell the difference. But I think that's one of the interesting things is that a lot of people who were against engineered food. Um, are starting to realise now that actually it's less bad than the alternatives. It's what was it Winston Churchill who said? You know, the, the、um, capitalism is bad compared to all the alternatives. I think this is the the issue: is that actually there are some problems with engineered food, of course, but compared to continuing to produce food in the in the level we have, it, it's simply unsustainable, literally. So, how do you think, William? We've changed in the past few months. What sort of change in behaviour have you seen as a result of the restrictions that have happened through the COVID crisis? 
Well, I mean, I think, I think yes, you, you talk about panic and panic buying. I think as an understandable, a lot of what, what's happened over the, the last few months has been driven by a lot of fear and a little bit of hope, um, which is, you know, people aren't understanding. They've not been helped particularly by the institutions that are supposed to be governing them. They've not been helped. They don't, you know, we're seeing the levels of trust around institutions across the globe. Um, you know, if you look at any of the, the stats around that, um, you know, if you look at the Edelman Trust Barometer, we'll see that the vast majority of people across 29 markets across the globe distrust all four main types of institutions right now. So there is a lot of, of distrust and therefore a lot of fear coming out of that. So what we're seeing, we're seeing three new needs coming up. Those needs are safety, serenity and community. So safety is, you know, on a very literal sense, is around hygiene, but it's also around keeping yourself healthy enough that nothing can get you. And it's being prepared for anything. So it's not just about this particular virus. It's about we're starting to realise, hold on, anything could happen right now. We have to be safe, whether that's having a, a healthy immune system, whether that's being prepared and getting new skills in case actually we can't use the skills we have and we have to use more practical skills. So on that level, safety, security, preparedness and so on. In terms of serenity, I think in the midst of all of this crisis and all of this stress, we're looking for some way to, to relax. It's peace of mind and peace and quiet. It's those two things. Peace of mind in terms of being able to sleep at night, feeling that actually we're doing the right thing. So there's a level of that, but also peace and quiet, a return to a kind of more natural state, trying to relax more, finding ways to be a bit more mindful. From that is a sense of, of community. And we've seen this on a very literal level, certainly across the UK, and we're seeing it across uh, America and much of Europe, a, a, a realisation of the importance of the local community. They've not necessarily had the support from upstairs from the institutions, so they've had to look to their neighbours for support much more than they used to. So, you know, we've seen this. Local neighbourhoods increasingly important, and I think this is one of the keys to... The, the future. In a crisis like this, you'd have thought, well, the, the important thing is to get enough money. No, the important thing is to have friends and family yeah. around us who can support us. And also, I think there's a bigger focus on the wider community because we know that the actions of the individual impact the collective way more now than even ever before because of how this virus in particular is spread. So we're thinking about each other in ways that we haven't done enough of. We are connected. This is, a, a, yeah. as you said, this is, a, you know, there could not be a more perfect way of showing us how connected we are, not mm. only nationally, but globally. The way we consume is mainly driven by convenience. And actually, because our health is at risk, we're having to find ways to not only go for the convenient. Obviously, particularly those that are from lower income communities don't necessarily have the luxury of not opt-in for the convenient. What do we do there? How do we level that playing field more, as it were? I think uh, luxury will be more and more luxury uh, in future. And uh, the, the concept and the situation sharing and caring things uh, will be uh, most important issues for us because we have seen that in a holistic way uh, we are all connected and we are affecting each other and, and we have to find solution for our basic needs, which mm. is uh, staying alive. I think the pandemic gives us the fear of uh, death once more all together uh, mm. in, the, in the, every part of the world. So uh, the luxury and the consuming and uh, the way of living, working, uh, 
educating, learning, everything should be considered once more from scratch. And we have learned this uh, by having high scare. Scare is a indeed very healthy feeling because yes. once we scare, we have to protect our uh, health, whatever uh, is. We have to act once we're scared, don't we? Yeah. I think this pandemic was a great test for all of us. Uh, once we have been scared, and we, once we have been teached what to do all together, wherever you go in the world right now, when you ask what shall we do against pandemic, everybody will say three things: social distance, hygiene, and mask. Wear mask. And that has been teached within few months only to the whole world. So we have to use uh, use this potential of scaring, uh, reaching people. It is not. It's. It doesn't come to us nice, but that that is working. The humanity, the people are so diversified. We are so yeah. crowded, and we have we uh, we have been so polarized. So we have to find a way to accept uh, common uh, goodness. And we have to find a way to act all together accordingly and quickly. And we cannot trust uh, pure intelligence of humanity. That's why we are becoming data, all of us. We need to uh, create new metrics. And to uh, create these new metrics, we need to be data as soon as possible. We cannot uh, give the, all these uh, uh, dangerous things to hands of people. We have seen that people, humanity, is uh, not capable enough to use intelligence for the good way of humanity and uh, environment and the nature. So I think um, the consuming, producing, all these are sub-issues when yep. we consider to major need of transformation. Let's look more at the supply chain itself. We know that what it will mean, particularly for populations that are dependent on the income that comes from outsourcing and, and the sort of globalization approach that we've had for the past few decades, we know that they will be impacted negatively. However, the reverse of that also is because we are now insourcing there are communities that perhaps have been overlooked in our own countries who will now be able to have opportunities that they haven't had in the past. How do we get that balance of still having a form of globalization, but not to the extremes that we've had in the past, so that we're able to protect our environment, but also to still keep that connectedness that we've been able to have up until now? Connectedness and environment is that I feel very strongly above localization. And, you know, it's not that someone, you know, I live in LA, they matter more than someone who lives in New York or someone who lives in Africa that I won't, you know, support that. It's about consciousness consumption and what does the environment. So if I have to get something that is in Brazil and it has a fossil fuel minima, uh, you know, to get here or something, but it's say it's not destroying the rainforest, it's not killing animals, it's not destroying, you know, maybe causing the next pandemic, but it's a conscious decision and it's supporting that community there. And not negatively impacting the indigenous communities, which we know a lot of the grains that we're all sort of consuming in large quantities are. Exactly. And then so it's the balance of that between, sure, I want to do that in my local community, but, you know, it's time to step up. What's more, you know, the, the pyramid of what the importance is, is who is making that most conscious 
product, whether it's food or clothing or whatever. And that, that, that is so far superior to like, to buying local, you know, buying local, I get a little frustrated with that where as long as the local grass fed was like the reason why I was in Costa Rica and they had grass fed beef and they had local and they didn't realize it destroyed 300 acres of their forested land rather than just buy something else that doesn't do that. So I feel that's a big thing is the balance of, um, who's creating the most, most conscious product. And that will naturally balance themselves out of who's doing what, whether no matter where they live in. With that in mind, taking much more of a 360 view on our consumerism so that you're not just going for the easy cop out, which is, oh, is it from my area? You're thinking in the round, how is this impacting all the various stages of the supply chain? Which I suppose is a lot to ask for from consumers, no? We are so interconnect, interconnected that buying on the planet is buying local. You know, you buy anything else, everything affects everything else. So it's just all about that very hyper-conscious decision. Every, everything I put on my plate, everything I put on my body, and especially at the time now, the scare, the fear has woken us up like, whoa, what's going on? How did this happen? What really is at the root of this? Now let's move forward. So it's happening. Globalism is one of those words, it's a tricky word because it, it triggers people. Something could be positive and global and negative and global. I think the economic globalism, I think, has, a, has a, had a de hugely detrimental effect on you know, the poorest communities across the globe. Um, and I th but I think the idea of a kind of a global consciousness is a, a fantastic thing. Also, I think the thing with that is it allows us to know who is growing our food or at least know where it's come from. Um, but at the same time, still thinking about the bigger picture in terms of the impact that we have on the planet and the world itself, not just our own sort of nation states. So Ofok, if I come to you, uh, my question again is around affordability. How affordable is sustainability? Your average person, can they even afford this stuff? Let's be honest, it costs a lot more than the sort of overproduced factory model. We have to find a way to create a sustainable future. That's, uh, I think that is close to any kind of discussion. We cannot continue like this. Once mm. they work for, for maximums or minimums, maximum sales, maximum production, we have to find a way, a better, a good for future, good for really everything. Because we are all connected and once we are serving for the uh, scale economy and the major concern was uh, economy, then there is no way out. So we have to find a way uh, for sustainable living conditions. Within 50, 50 years, what we have done, done to the world, we are so crowded and we have to make something to control. And I think the way is to um, trust on uh, artificial intelligence, although the technology is uh, sounding uh, in negative way for most of the people, we have to be able to explain everything in data and we have to uh, create more uh, rational metrics to manage the sources. But isn't it also an issue of economies of scale? in that if we're able to change behavior across the board with more people demanding uh, more ethical ways of producing our food, whether that is locally or globally, then surely that becomes the standard. And that 
without question brings the price down. So isn't that also what we somehow need to figure out? We are all trying to uh, reply or find a response to these questions by thinking that economic situation, monetary system and the infrastructure of everything will not change. We know that uh, the blockchain, the uh, cryptocurrencies and all the data economy, all everything will change uh, these standards as well. When we say income, we will be saying another in another thing in quite near future. So we are thinking still that the conditions will be uh, staying the same, but that will not be so uh, regarding the economic economics and that kind of issues. Whose responsibility is it? Is it the consumer or is it the really the sort of responsibility of governments to make sure that we are informed to make better choices? Well, you know, our choices, especially like lower income communities, uh, um, are dictated by, by price, as you said. And our choices are, are just ch chosen because that's what we can afford. You buy a Big Mac because it's, you know, $2.50. If you take away the subsidy, that Big Mac is around $14. So the most powerful thing you can do, especially in America, I don't know, other countries, is to remove the subsidies. We take away the subsidies, either completely take it away, those prices skyrocket, then the, the plethora of grains and vegetables and fruit that used to go feed the animals now is much cheaper because you have, a, you have a wealth of more food. But what do we and do with the jobs that are lost as a result that's, of taking Well, that's the thing. It's a, big, it's a big misnomer that they think the animal agriculture produces a lot of uh, jobs. It's not. It's a factory farm industry. 90, I think it's 98% of all foods factory farm, grass-fed, uh, and that whole free range is a whole misnomer. That's a false theory. So that is the most easiest, direct, powerful thing we can do is just shift the subsidies. And it's a very realistic thing. So can I ask you, Will, I'd be interested to get your take on what we do with um, emerging economies that uh, were on the rise as a result of globalization. If we look at what's happened in China, in terms of the fact that they were able to lift 350 million people out of poverty in a, in a decade, really because of globalization. Similar things were beginning to start happening in Africa and other parts of the world that are again sort of slowly um, moving into the sort of emerging economy bracket. What do we do there? Because if we are now expecting our consumers to be much more focused on what's going on internally, as opposed to looking at consuming globally, what does that mean for the global economy and actually the impact that has on us all when there are economies that just will be stalled as a result of this new way of doing things? Seeing the, uh, some of the emerging economies as almost being kind of the servants of the, uh, the feeders of the, of the West, I think is dangerous. I think most of these societies are perfectly capable of self-sustainment. If we don't see it as a global system whereby certain countries are feeding other countries, if we look at cities or states as you know how can you actually sustain that how can you create a sustainable society where you grow or manufacture the food you need and then you find a way of, of, of sharing that as Ulfred said I think give these emerging markets the opportunity to sustain themselves I think that's where it's going to come from. We know food wastage in the West is such a huge problem. What are we going to do to get a handle on it? Because 
it is absolutely unsustainable in terms of behavior patterns. We need to ensure that actually food waste is not economically and financially sustainable. And if we do that, then we can find, you know, then it's, it's less likely to exist. If people could afford to waste food, then there's something seriously wrong here. So I think we have to look at that. So I think on that level, I think we, we have to look at the way that people are allowed to make money. I also think one of the ways, if we look at what's happened, certainly in the UK, and I believe it's happened in certain other markets as well, when I'm thinking about what I put in my bins, you know, if I'm thinking about that and I'm recycling, how have you got me as an individual, how have you got the vast majority of the UK to recycle? It's become socially unacceptable not to recycle. That's the point. We, we've got, you know, people are worried about Big Brother. I think what we've got is we've got huge numbers of little brothers and little sisters going around and checking out, hold on a second, are you not recycling? Yeah. You can't, nobody can, can say now, oh, yes, I'm, it's part of a huge, um, it's part of that kind of shift towards sort of conscious consumption. A few hundred years ago, we were being driven by religious motivation. We did this because we thought we'd, we'd get something out of it in, in the afterlife. The last hundred years or so, it's been increasingly, it's been a consumerist. We've been driven because we thought that owning things would make us happier. Increasingly, we're shifting towards, you know, away from a consumerist society towards a more communalist society. We actually increasingly care about what people think of us. If what your peers thinks about you is actually what drives you forward, then that's a great opportunity to push some more socially acceptable things. I think it's a fantastic opportunity. Are we at a risk of creating uh, a, a, a pandemic or, or an epidemic in terms of the food shortages because the world is in lockdown. We know so many economies have stalled. Has the response perhaps even made things worse? Yeah, I think we are uh, just against uh, of uh, the threat of hunger and we have to define what is healthy nutrition, how shall we uh, feed ourselves and uh, feed the environment and uh, everything should be redefined. We know mm. that in 2050, uh, the world population will be 10 billion. So billion, yeah. we are not stopping here and we are uh, creating waste. And so we, we have to eliminate waste. We have to find ways, uh, continual use of sources, but that would not be enough because we have destroyed our environment, ourselves and everything so terribly. So we have to, as we have said at the beginning, very quickly find new ways by the, by using the advantage of technology. We have to use this uh, big power to redefine everything. So I think the uh, the solution will come along with technology, the uh, increase of AI. Although many people are thinking the reverse, uh, if we use them effectively and more in, more intelligently. Uh, we can find uh, better ways to sustain our old systems. The heading of this whole series is kind of, you know, about talking about a reset. And I think this whole idea of the, the big reset, the great reset, it really is something that I think we'll see coming out of this. I don't think suddenly we're going to have this, this automatic change where everyone's going to suddenly become more sustainable and so on. But in terms of a shift, it's like we were running a technological and a, and a, a financial marathon and we were just pumping ahead. And I think Ufuk mentioned the sort of this rush. And I think we've been rushing forward for decades now, thinking that the idea of success is about going forward and getting more and economic growth and all of these areas. 
this. And actually, I think before even the, the, the COVID, I think people were starting to go, are we absolutely sure this is the right direction? You know, we're rushing forward. Is this where we should be going? And I think COVID has actually, it, it's, it's forced people to stop. And I think if you stop, that's when you start thinking, well, which direction should we be going in? And so I think we are starting to see more and more people saying, actually, I'm reassessing what matters to me. Does it actually matter more that I'm happy as opposed to successful? They're asking themselves different questions. Yes, but they're looking at, is this helping me? Am I happier now because of what I own and because of what I earn? And we are starting to see, as I say, this whole idea of... of saying maybe we shouldn't rush forward, maybe we shouldn't be rushing at all. One of the biggest movements we've seen recently has been kind of the slow movement, which obviously began with food, with slow food back in the 1980s in Italy. But we've seen a, a, an increasing kind of slow leisure we're seeing more and more with the shift towards or back to vinyl. Increasingly, it was about gyms were all about, uh, you know, HIT, this hard, fast gym work. And increasingly, we're starting to see people going, no, you know what? Actually, I can get in better shape by walking. Did they have it better back then? Should we have yeah. this sort of society? Is this yeah. the right society or was yeah. it better back in Mesopotamia? You know. Offal, do you think sometimes when it comes to this issue, and, and you are a futurist, do you think sometimes we focus too much on the future and less on the now? Because unless we change now, we will not have a different future. What we do today is what determines what happens tomorrow. We are in this situation because we thought future less. I think it is again the same everywhere in the world to use future, futurist, futuristic type of words. And people are just talking about designing the future. We need balance. And we need uh, the, the reset concept is really very, very uh, nice. I liked it very much. And we have to reset and we have to rethink uh, in a better way what we are doing. So we have to look forward much more intelligently by yeah. using nice. the advantage of technology. I'm not uh, saying this. Uh, we have to keep up with technology only or we, we should be just humanity. We have to find a way to compromise, uh, including uh, the, everything uh, surrounding us. So yeah. I think uh, these are the times uh, to, to think about, but thinking is not enough. We have to be visionary doers. We have to create new visions, but at the same time, we have to act accordingly. So we, we cannot talk all or everything, talk and talk. And we ha all of us should be activists as well. Yeah. Acting, controlling, correcting. And we are still capable. We, are, we still have chance to change many things altogether. And I, I trust on this. I'm quite positive, still quite positive. Really? Uh, well, as a futurist, I'm going to listen to what you say because if you're <laughs> hopeful, clearly you're seeing something. We will succeed. Down. Exactly. <laughs> Do we think that governments need to legislate around this issue? And, and what does the future look like in your eyes? Should we all be vegan? So we have to look at our collective human beings as almost like a business. I'm an entrepreneur as well. And when, when a business or something has gone awry, we have to stop. And we have to say, what is our mission statement? What is our mission statement? I'm talking not the past 50 years, 100 years, 
Why are we called human beings? Human is stems from humane. Human is a relation of a being that separates from all other animals that it's how we relate to others. And what's happened is that we've gotten so far away from that, what a human being means that it's not about ourselves, about how we relate to others, other beings and other all life forms, that all we have to do is get back to that mission statement. It's like, oh yeah, we are part of the animal kingdom. We're not separated from it. We are part of it. Once we get back to the, that we're part of, we are an animal, then we remember, okay, we're, we're part of the earth. Okay, now let's move forward. What side of history do you want to be on in the, in the future? And the time is now to make the decision. So absolutely, it's to be vegan. That's a, it's not the end-all be-all, it's the first step. With a lot of the examples that you've cited there, legislation made the big difference in terms of moving people quickly. Legislation typically comes after public opinion has grown. No government will pass legislation unless it specifically benefits them, but no government will pass legislation that will not gain them votes on the whole. But sometimes you have brave leaders though, don't you think, William? Maybe. I think maybe you have more belief in government than I do. Okay, um, sorry. I, I, I think that's the issue. <laughs> I have less trust in national governments. Legislation is a vital part of change, absolutely, in anything from the workplace through to society and so on. So legislation is essential, but I think we do need to change uh, public opinion, and I think we can do that. The systems need to change, and again, I think we've touched on this. I think this whole idea that the people are less trusting of federal and national governments and global uh, governments, and more trusting of, of, of uh, local governments, typically. I think this, this sense that we are increasingly going to be looking more towards our local communities and having more self-sustaining, more autonomous communities, I think will potentially help. If you realize that your behavior could adversely affect your neighbors, um, then I think you will get involved. And I think who will make the legislation of local communities, it will be individuals coming forward. The latest two generations, the youngest generation, Generation Z and Generation Alpha, as we're calling, this, these are two generations that understand the link between uh, you know, global sustainability and human life. This young generation is interested in how do we build a new society post-reset, post-COVID, post-financial collapse. As consumers, what is the best action we can all take towards a better future? We know we're going to come out of this crisis at some point. We know we don't want to come out of it the same as we were before. So what should we all be doing? Is there one thing that you like? You think that if everybody on the planet did this one thing, we would help move the needle so much further? I wish I, I could really know this, but uh, I have an idea. I did keep uh, touch this very nicely. Till now, we lived in a world that is so standardized. We have yeah. been taught uh, if you are educated, not if you are educate yourself. If we educate you in that way, you become yeah, that. Yeah. And if you trust on the system, everything will be so nice. And we have been derived and we have been manipulated and we used to live out of our own body and out uh, of our own uh, mental or uh, intelligence. So I think all of us, we have to come back 
to ourselves. This self-realization, self-awareness, self-everything, autonomy. Before giving autonomy to technology, we have to uh, realize who we are. We have to really think what we are doing. So I think if every one of us look at in our side, uh, I think we will be much, much more better and then we will be uh, collectively create a much more better future. Okay. To decrease, to if any, eliminate the chance for another pandemic, whether it's this one or swine flu, to get our gut biome healthy, for our health to thrive, to have the, the air clean, our rainforest back, our rivers back, our water back, our wildlife back, the first step is going vegan. It's all a karmic cycle. Once we do that, collectively, we'll see a huge transformation. And it's happening now, thankfully, so might as well jump on. All right. Thank you on that, Kip. And William? Kip's absolutely right. We have to um, remind ourselves of our humanity. We have to remember that we are humans and we are a human community on a planet. We have to think global and act local. And I think we have to look at what's happening in our local communities and we have to help on those. And I think if people can, you know, people want to be able to help, but they say, well, how can I help the planet? I think they have to say, okay, how can I help the people around me? Whether it's my friends, my family, my neighbors, and then we'll all start doing that. I think that that is a, a big issue. Let's try and fix some of the small problems around us. And ultimately, we can move towards a globe that's interconnected, self-sufficient communities that are doing the right thing. Thank you all so much. Offog, Kip and William, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to the three of you. I feel I have learned so much. And really, just the sort of focus on our shared humanity and how the behavior of the individual impacts the collective. So thank you. What a joy, what a pleasure. That's all from us uh, on this episode. Of course, the world is changing radically and rapidly. We all have our views and we want to hear yours. So if you want to get involved and be a part of the conversation, please do get in touch with us via our social media channels. And of course, you can hear more episodes of Project Reset at our website as well.